0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Timothy. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11 today. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, looking to you for guidance, looking to the Holy Spirit to bring illumination and understanding. We look to you to teach us the things that are so important to you, to teach us about godliness and holiness, to teach us to walk in your ways, that straight and narrow path that leads to life. Lord, that's our desire, to honor you, to glorify you, to make your name known, to exalt you in all of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Title this message, really, How to Deal with False Teachers and False Prophets. In all of our lives, each of us will experience false teachers, false prophets. And one of the things that you and I need to have is a discernment. Discernment comes as you're in the Word that you've been born again. You're in the Word being washed by the Word understanding the word itself it means that we want to rightly divide that word of truth that we will recognize and discern what is of god and what is not of god first john it talks about you need not a teacher now he's not talking about a teacher here this morning but he's talking about a teacher to know what is true and what is false he's saying this discernment The Holy Spirit gives you this discernment as you walk in the Spirit, as you understand God's truth, and you begin to live it out, walking in the Spirit, you automatically have discernment. The Spirit guides you in all truth. Now, your desire is to either walk in the truth or walk in the flesh. You don't need to be instructed about false teachers, you don't need to understand the depth of the the wickedness and the doctrine of demons and that de- what you need to know is that truth that will set you free the truth focuses upon Jesus well let's read our text today again first timothy chapter 1 beginning at verse 3 let's read our text together as i urged you upon my departure for macedonia Remain on at Ephesus so that you will instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths or endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than the furthering the ministration of God which is by faith. For the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith, For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the, the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinner, for the unholy, the profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers and murderers and immoral people and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted with. Paul is, in a sense, passing on the baton to Timothy. Timothy's been instructed here to to stay in Ephesus because of the false teachers. He is to silence them. How does he silence them? By bringing the truth, relying upon God. Now, who is he speaking about? Those who teach error. And notice, in doing so, these people lead others astray. They are distinguished from false prophets who equally condemned in the Scripture. Now let me read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Notice what the Scripture says Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the shepherds of Israel! who have been feeding themselves and should not the shepherds feed the flock? Now here he's talking about Israel in the context, those who are to be governed by God. But he's saying prophesy against these false shepherds, these people that are taking advantage, manipulating the people, feeding themselves, and not really taking care of the flock of God. God condemns the false prophets, the false teachers, God condemns it's not my job to condemn my job is to bring the truth that set people free, to hate the sin, but love the sinner, and pray that God will open up their eyes, that God will bring them back, bring them to their senses. Notice again, Second Peter chapter two, verse one, but false prophets also rose among the people just as they will also have false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who brought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves now here again he's talking about these false prophets what do they do well they secretly introduce destructive again heresies it'd be as if Someone would come into this congregation, and as we're teaching the Word of God, they would say, well, that isn't really what that text means. Let me tell you what it really means. They oftentimes read someone else who doesn't know the Word of God, who has not rightly divided it, and they get caught up on it, and they begin to try and draw people after themselves. Now, I use that word pray, P-R-E-Y. They prey upon the weak they prey upon the the new those that are not grounded they don't go after people that know the word of god they go after those that are they're young those who are innocent and they tell them this is what the word of god really says and they draw people after themselves notice again secretly introduce destructive heresies they go behind the back of the leadership There are those that will come into a flock, whether it be this flock or another flock, and their goal is to draw people away. They have agenda to have them follow something else. When we think about in the Old Testament, there's a man, again, in the Old Testament named Ahab, and he has a wife named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a Phoenician, and she worshipped Baal. And when he marries her, now he's the king of the ten northern tribes. She has agenda. Her agenda is to lead all the people of Israel after her God. And see, that's the same thing with these false teachers, false prophets. Sometimes it's after themselves, their own power. Sometimes it's after another God, another agenda. They're confident that they know the word, but they've never studied The word. Well, Jesus identified the teachers of the law and the Pharisees as false teachers. He wasn't afraid to point them out, to illuminate them, to say their name. In our culture today, that's not something that's acceptable. Now, if there was going to be a hurricane coming, people would want that warning. They want to know, or a tsunami's coming, they wouldn't want to know. But if it's something spiritual, oftentimes people don't want to know in fact even to do this in some cases people can be sued it divides churches the fact is oftentimes people don't want to know the truth that will set them free Well, it's interesting as he goes on in his text let me read from 2 corinthians 11 verse 13 and 15 notice what he says for such men are false prophets They are deceitful workers, distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their own deeds. God's going to deal with them. But notice they disguise themselves. They're deceitful workers, and they're just like Satan. In fact, they're... In a sense, they're a child of Satan, leading people astray. First Timothy 6.3 says this, If anyone advocates a different doctrine, doctrine meaning teacher, or excuse me, teaching, and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the doctrine conforming to godliness. See, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, do not agree with him. That's why it's so important that you understand the Word of God. You become a brand. You examine the truth. You learn how to rightly divide that word of truth. Then you'll recognize what is true and what is false. What is sound doctrine? Again, those who follow Jesus Christ. The words of Jesus Christ. A doctrine or teaching is conforming to godliness. Not to signs, not to wonders. Signs and wonders will follow as God chooses after true believers. But the doctrine that you and I follow are one of godliness and holiness and purity. Living and walking in the truth. The doctrine of love, God is love And the way that we live our lives in this world is loving. Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Is it needful when we say something? And when we do say something, how do we say it? Is it honoring? Is it respectful? Look with me again in verse 5. The goal of the false teachers is is much different than the goal of the teaching of, of the pastor or the congregation, I believe, here? Because here's what Timothy, this is what Paul's saying. This is, this is our goal. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. It's a good conscience, a sincere faith. See, that should be the goal here of this congregation, of every Bible-teaching congregation, every place where the truth is taught. The goal is from a pure heart. Love motivates us to bring the truth, the truth that will set people free. And that good conscience, meaning that we know that we have brought you the whole counsel of God's Word, that we have not deceived you, we have not tried to manipulate you, but to simply bring you to Jesus Christ. Love is that motivation to stand up here week after week and bring the Word of God or to meet with you in the community or to share with others in the community. Love, not not this is a job, but love, because I love God, I love you, and because you love God and love others, you want to bring that truth. So the goal is first, love from a pure heart, that we don't have a motive, we don't have agenda other than loving people. Our conscience is clear. We know we're doing what God has called us to do, and of a sincere faith. Sincere faith. Look at verse six in our text. For some men strain from these things. So, what did they stray from? From love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. They've turned aside, notice, to fruitless, fruitless discussion. They're moving away from the truth. Now, notice it uses the word some. Some have wandered away. It's certain men, men who taught false doctrines, false teachings, things that were not consistent with what Jesus had taught, and Paul had taught, and John had taught, and Matthew had taught. See, that's what we're looking for. We want to see how their teaching lines up with these men. How does it line up with Christ, the very life of Christ, the words that he taught? Well, again, they missed the mark. They turned to this fruitless or meaningless talk, empty chatter. It's used only here in the New Testament, the only place it's used. The content of these false teachers would would never lead to anyone living a holy life. Are you learning to walk in the holiness of God? Are you being instructed when you read the word to be set apart for him? To be set apart from ungodliness and worldliness, He's setting you apart that you would have a, a biblical world view, because everyone does it, doesn't make it right. God has given us his standard. God has given us His love. He shows us what our lives are to look like. Notice about these men. we, we see they, they have motives, wanting to be teachers of the law. Every pastor, when he comes to the word of God, needs to let God feed him first. And there's no message until he hears from God, even in his own life. Now, they're they're wanting to be teachers because they like the prestige of looking up to them. Now, that's not as common in this generation. There's still some, they put them up on pedestals. You know, people can only hear them. This is the only true word. The true word comes when you and I read it. When we open our ears, our hearts, our minds to hear the Holy Spirit. No matter who's speaking, if you want to hear God, you will hear God. Again, they were wanting to be teachers. In fact, James gives an exhortation in James chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing there's such will incur a stricter judgment. That means that one that becomes a, a teacher in front of a, a congregation, a group of people, one who exalts himself, there's a greater accountability. Why? Because there's a greater knowledge is given to know what is right, to know what is wrong, how to apply that. And if that person doesn't live that life, does not follow that truth, there is a stricter judgment for him. So he says very clearly, let not many of you become teachers. You need to really reevaluate. It's not a job. And it's important to understand, this is not a job that I do or any pastor. It's a calling. And I'm called to fulfill this calling. I'm called to be faithful. What God is showing me is every other pastor. Now, there are some pastors, the Bible describes them as hirelings. They're only there for the money. They're only there for the retirement, Love motivates you to be there for God, for his people, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow him, just as that is true for me. That's true for every believer. Well, it requires humility, the compulsion of, of God's call to be a servant. See, the Ephesian false teachers knew neither. They sought leadership roles for the sake of satisfaction. Oh, that was a great message! I am so thankful. They're believing only what the man says, and not really studying the Word of God, not seeking the the truth of God. Notice what John, Third John, the Epistle of John, Third John, Chapter One, Verse Nine says: "I wrote something to the church, but." by trophies who loves to be first among them does not accept what we say here's a man who loved to be first they have come along and tried to speak to him but he's not accepted it he likes the power he likes the glory you've seen him on TV where they're teaching the word but they're glorifying themselves not the king although throw in a word here and there glorify God praise him but if you really watch them, it's all about them. Well, let me tell you, it's all about Jesus. That we fall in rank, we follow him wherever he goes. Well, look with me again in verse 7 again. The, the fact of the false teachers, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters which they make confident assertions. But we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person. Now, Paul's reasoning here, or a warning against these false teachers in Ephesus, was that they misunderstood the intent and use of God's law. What is the purpose of the law? The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You know, before you became a believer, before you became a Christian, people were holding this law over you. The law revealed the sin. You wouldn't have known sin, Paul would say, unless you'd known the law. See, it was a schoolmaster to show you your need of Christ and come to him. But now you're no longer under that law, in that sense. You're under a law of love that you're motivated because God has come in your heart. Love, that is Christ, indwelling your heart. Now you do things out of a loving heart. Now, they don't understand the intent of law. There was a purpose. It was to show that all men have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And that wages of sin is a death. But you don't need to go there again and again. And again, it only had a purpose. You don't need to to dwell in it. Well, we still need to study it. We still need to know the nature and the character of God, what holiness looks like. But now we simply live it out, walk it out. But see, they were using it for another purpose, to corral the people, to control the people, to manipulate the people. This is what he's talking about. They misunderstood its intent. And the use of God's law. See, the law itself is intrinsically noble. It's honorable. But as teachers must use it according to the spirit and intention. And that's I use that expression from time. What is the author's intent? When he was writing this scripture, when the Holy Spirit was moving through an individual to write it, what was the intent of the author? That's what we need to know. That's where the rubber meets the road. It doesn't matter what I say if that does not line up with the very word of God. That's what's important. So what is the right use of the law? Well, theologians have summarized three uses of the law. First, the Bible resembles a a, a locked door to restrain individuals from trespassing into wrong territory. That's from Romans 7 and uh, 7, and, and then Psalm nineteen Well, second, the law resembles a, a mirror to reveal sin. You know, when you look into the Word of God, you, you see your sinfulness. Let me ask you a question. When you're reading the Word of God, do you identify yourself? Can you, can you look at the Scripture and say, well, that, that's me, that's what I've done. I've been in this place. I need to confess. I need to repent. See, it's to reveal that sin, to show me what's on my life, what's on my heart, where I'm going. Just as you would look in a mirror in the morning. Do you want to comb your hair, clean yourself up? That's what the Word of God does. want to make me more like Jesus. Thirdly, the law serves as a, a rule, a guide point. A guide point out of the works that may please God. How can I please God? Learn to to walk in his ways. Now the heiress whom Paul was addressing did not know they needed restraint. It was to, to keep them in the mirror for their sins, that they, they could look into it and reflect and show them their true self, their their nature, their their old man that needed to be dealt with and, and really a guide to life. See, they only used the law as a, a launch pad in that sense. They rob the law of its convicting point. See, that's one of the wonderful things why people like King James, because the King James, when it's reading, and it's reading, you know it's speaking to, to you. There's the these, the thous. And God is truly speaking to you when you read the Word of God. It has a convicting power to show you that need of a Savior. Now let me read Romans 7, seven. It says, what shall we say then is the law sin? May it never be on the contrary. I would not have come to know sin except for through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, the law reveals your sinfulness and a need of a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Notice what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of law no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So again, the knowledge of sin comes through the law, but it also, as it reveals that sin, it makes you accountable. You know what sin is. You see in the Scripture when you're reading, this is sin, this is wrong, this is rebellion to God, and I'm going to stand accountable to a holy God one day. And I need to confess, and I need to repent, and I need to put my trust in Jesus Christ, because the only answer is in Jesus Christ. Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, notice again what it says, Therefore the law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That faith is talked about. It's not faith in your faith. It's it's faith in a faithful God. Faith in Christ that he died for you upon the cross, that he paid the price you could not pay. That all the sin, your sin, my sin, every person's sin in the world was imputed upon him that day when he died upon the cross, he was raised from the grave three days later, and it showed that it was accepted by the Father. So by putting my faith in Jesus, what he's done, recognizing that I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I can have salvation. God sees me then just as I've never sinned because he sees me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Although the, the false teachers wish to be teachers of law, Such was an impossibility. Why? Because they simply didn't understand it. They didn't understand the purpose of the law. They made confident assertions, but they didn't even understand it. Notice what the gospel of Mark says in chapter 8, verse 15. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven represents in the Scripture sin. When we do communion, the bread that is set out is unleavened bread. And, and that idea is the leaven speaks of the false teaching of the Pharisees. The false teaching, again, of Herod. There's false teaching in this world, there's false teaching within different congregations. Now, can a pastor make an error? Can his mind move too fast and, and say something by accident? Yes, I've said that, every pastor said that, but there's a difference in one who is teaching error, a false teaching that's inconsistent with a word. Now, either way, if I, I say something wrong or another pastor says something wrong, we need to say, you know what, I, I said this, it didn't come out right, or maybe I didn't make it clear. We need to explain that. That's what a true teacher will do. He will humble himself. But these false teachers would not confess. They would not repent. Paul will deal with them more later, and we'll see how to deal with this as we go on. So again, the law is good if it's used for the right purpose. Paul did not intend to condemn the law itself. No, no, the law was good. He's careful not to throw the baby out with the dirty bathwater. Now, the word good could actually be translated as useful. See, the law is useful. It's something that you and I should know. It's it's not following this bullet list of different things. The law, the word of God itself, will transform you as you read it, as you know it. It will wash you. It will cleanse you. The scripture talks about. So the law is good. It's, it's useful because it reflects God's character. It reflects God's will. Now, as the psalmist put it this way, the, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul so its purpose is to again bring people to christ the purpose is to teach us about what is right and what's wrong to curb the sinner it's not given to to bring those who are righteous through christ into a legalistic bondage there are churches, as if you go walk in the door, they give you a bullet list of 633 commands. You've got to do this or God's not pleased with you. See, if Christ has come into your heart, you've been born again, he's written on the tablets of your heart, and that process of sanctification begins, where he begins changing you is read the word. We keep the law out of love not out of a bullet list. God still loves you, loves me, even when we sin. But when we sin, we break the fellowship. That's why we confess our sin. That's why we come to Him and confess and repent and we're reconciled to Him. It doesn't mean a loss of salvation. It doesn't mean that God loves me any less. We have a sympathetic high priest who understands he's been tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. He without sin, but you and I, he knows the weakness of the flesh. So he's waiting for you, for me, when we sin to come to our senses to confess and repent. That we can celebrate and we can move on down that road. I don't keep the Sabbath. My rest is not in a day. My rest is in a Savior. Christ Jesus is my rest. It's Him that I rest in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week. Not in my efforts. in what He's already done for me. And He's done for you. Our rest, our trust, our faith. It's a faithful Savior who's able to keep you until that day. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Notice it doesn't say by, live by works. By faith. You and I walk out our life in faith in a faithful God will keep us. As we read the word, as he shows us his heart and he reveals, we just walk by faith, knowing that he's going to come for us one day and take us home, that we'll hear those words, good and faithful servant, that there's nothing that you or I could do today that he would love me any more than he loved me yesterday. He loved you perfectly on the cross. Nothing you can do is surprising. He's made a way, knowing that weakness. If you simply come to him and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now the law was made for those, again, as we saw, who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly, for the sinner, the unholy and profane. Verse 9 says, Again, he, he describes these things, the lawless, rebellious, ungodly. This is what the law is for. And he goes on at the very end of that verse, and, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So again, it's it's to the, the law is to, to give us a reflection of our life. What does it look like? Now, before people come to Christ, and even after Christ, sadly sometimes, we think we're pretty good. Oh, that was true in my life. See, I, I thought when I got saved... I was a pretty good person. Well, that was next to the murder. That was next to the adulter. But you know what? My sin was so bad, he had to die upon the cross. I was a rebellion to God. And it's important to understand that law just had a purpose. Now, here's the thing. is As you go on, you're going to recognize false teachers understand that not everyone will respond to what you say how you say is very important do you deal with the doctrine not with the character of the individual if you deal with the doctrine they'll recognize that character we're not to destroy the person but we're to reveal the truth that will set a person free now all of us have this responsibility to be on alert for false teachers what do we watch for? This is important. How, how am I going to recognize one of these false teachers and I need to recognize them before I share with my family, with my friends? When we're to look for their understanding of the scripture, how do they handle that scripture? Ask if their, their teaching is biblically sound. Do you know what teaching looks like that's biblically sound? You know that idea of being biblically sound is like a a, a, a medical term. The root comes from it is like a setting of bone, set straight and, and right. It's healthy, it's good. We should discern that. I've been around people and, and they'll hear um something that I say or someone else said, and oh that's so good, that's so true. And then someone else in the conversation will say something that is so biblically unsound. Oh, that's so good, so true. See, some people do not discern. Some people do not know the truth because they're moved by their emotions, by their feelings, and they do not use the Word of God as that plumb line. What is right and what is wrong? So the first thing that we need to do is is look at their understanding. Do they place extra-biblical teachings on the same level as the Bible, and, and many of them put it on the same level as the Bible. There is no book in this world is on the same level as the Bible. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, and it is above every book. I don't need another book, again, to, to tell me the truth that will set me free. I need the Bible. Now, can I use other books? Yes, I can use it, but I should never put them over the Word of God. Now, the second thing I want to call your attention to is understanding that Scripture is how do they handle the Word of God? Do they handle it accurately? Do they rightly divide that Word of truth? And that's important. So if, if I'm to recognize that, that means I need to learn how to do that. See, that's one of the goals when I come here, I teach the Word, is and I'm teaching in a certain method that you learn how to rightly divide, how to, to break it apart, how to ask questions. Are they teaching about the Bible or are they teaching the Bible? Are they teaching their own agenda? Is it consistent in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Is it something that Paul taught, that Matthew taught and James taught and, and the Apostle John taught? Is it consistent through the whole Bible? So one, I I need to to see, do they put other books on equal plane or even above the word of God as some organizations do? Do they accurately handle that word of God? Does what they teach replace the simplicity of the gospel? See, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done. It always should come back to the good news of Jesus Christ. It always should focus upon Jesus somehow. What he's done, not what I've done. Because of what I've done, Jesus has had to die upon the cross for me, for you. Now there's considerable distortions about the number 666, undergo a, a, a spell out the name in every international villain from um, Caesar to Napoleon to Hitler to Stalin. And then people get off on these tangents. Or every fall, the, the rapture is going to be at this time. New evidence, new evidence, new evidence. Yet the scripture makes it very clear. No one knows the hour, the day, or the time, but the Father. Yet they know. See, that teaching is inconsistent. A few years ago, the, a best-selling book, the Bible called Foolish Interpretation of the Old Testament, claimed an Israeli mathematician has decoded the Bible, a computer, unlocking 3,000 years of prophecies and such events as the Kennedy assassination, the election of Bill Clinton, and on and on and on. The Bible tells me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And he says, unless a person is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God, and he never addresses this. There's religious novelties uh, about everywhere. Fantastic claims of a new truth. The fact is, what you have is all you need. The Word of God. We simply need to humble ourselves and say, God, I need to hear from you. I need a teachable spirit. Guide me in all truth, and after all, that's why he's given us that Holy Spirit to to guide, to lead us into all new truth. Oftentimes, these teachings, I just mentioned a few, they, they use these to replace the simplicity of the gospel. And what it is, is an apostasy. It's a moving away from what we know. They misunderstand the the law, the purpose of the law. Acts 20, verse 29 and 30. Notice what it says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things to draw draw away disciples after themselves. And see, that's what these false teachers do. They draw people after themselves, every pastor has seen it. Every congregation has had people that just drawn away after something of every wind of doctrine, and and what happens is when they find out that's not the truth, they 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 fall away and they never come back to the church. Many of them, they're broken. They they made promises. People have prophesied over them, and when it doesn't. Happened there, There's these people that have turned against God, turned against the church, and yet it was their own choice. They wouldn't grow. They didn't see that need of growing. They were looking for something, excitement as if, if Christ wasn't enough. Well, the second thing I'd like you to think about these false teachers really is to examine their goals. What do you mean? It, 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 to, do they seek after love and honor and to glorify God? To, to bring you into a closer, more intimate relationship with God, bringing honor and glory to Him in and, and the life that you live, a, a life of godliness? Or do they pursue self-love, a, a material wealth, or a personal happiness? God wants you to be happy. Our happiness is in Him. Our joy is in Him, knowing that when we close our eyes in this world, we open them up. the King and a life that's prepared for us. Does her message speak of purity of heart, a a good conscience or a non-hypocritical faith? God says Satan is the father of lies. Why would you want to lie and identify with Satan? Oh it's my flesh. Sometimes we may react some way, but we need to confess. We need to repent quickly. There's no room for lies. I means I don't trust God. Finally, we see to we need to examine their motives. Are they humble? Are, are they selfless? Are they they a servant? Every pastor is to be a servant of that congregation. First, a servant of God, but We're here to serve you. We labor in in the study of the word, labor in prayer. We make sacrifices. That's what God calls us to do. Just as I'm called to do that, you're called to do that in your own families, in the ministry that God has called you to. Do their followers really understand clearly what the gospel is all about? It's all about Jesus, Jesus Christ. Do they know how to define the, the gospel properly? Do they know how to use the law properly? Apart from that gospel message, do they promote works righteousness or faith that trust in a faithful God to keep them until that day? See, we're to, to look at the flock. We're to look at the fruit. What kind of fruit does that produce? When a person is, is taking the word of God in on a regular basis in their personal life and in the congregation where they're at, they will be growing and maturing and they want to grow and they want to mature. And it will be evidence in their life. There will be fruit in their life. Because there's so much more love with Jesus, so much more in love with the people around them. They'll recognize that God has left them here, and He has a purpose for them. And they're looking to to share and comfort others with the comfort they've received. Now, those that pass these above checks, they should be welcomed in as brothers of of Christ, but. Even if we differ with them in some points in interpretation, see, we're not going to agree on every point. There, there's a, a little difference between a Baptist and a Methodist and a Lutheran. The question is, do they know Jesus Christ? Are they bringing people to Jesus Christ? There are preferential differences, but are the essentials there? That's what's important. Are the essentials there? Those who do not, well, they need to be rejected. No matter what experiences they've had, no matter what else they may teach, you need to step away. You need to turn it off. You no longer listen to it. I have a little thing that when I listen to something, whether it be on the radio or if I happen to turn on the TV and I hear somebody and there's a red flag that goes up in my mind. Something's wrong with this picture. I don't know what it is. Well, Turn it off. Don't listen to it. Say, I don't want any poison in my life. There's enough poison in life to begin with. I don't need any leaven. I need only the truth. So when I begin to hear someone, and he has a little poison, let's say there's 90% truth, but he's got 10% poison, how much poison do you want to take? See, what happens if you begin to listen to a poison. Little by little, it begins to deprogram you from the truth and reprogram you to something that's not truth. So when the Holy Spirit quickens to your mind something's wrong with it, turn it off. You don't need to study it. You don't need to know it. You need to know the Word of God that will set you free. That's what's important. So we reject these kind of teachers... Look with me in verse 11 in our text, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Now, first, the gospel concerns, notice, the glory of the blessed God. We've come here to praise him, to exalt him. That's what Christians do. That's what the church does. It's not coming to church, but the church congregates together because we want to praise him we want to worship him we want to tell the wonders of the glory what he's done in our lives and in doing and our need of him and and we want to study his word that's what we do that's the natural thing and we're going to bring glory to god see the content of the content of the gospel is to set forth and proclaim the glory of god he and he alone is magnified. No man should be magnified, put upon a, a pedestal. Oh, we may have those in our lives, mentors, people that God has used in our life, but it's God in them. It's God in them. It's not them. It's God that is working in them and through them. Well, the second thing I want to call your attention, the gospel comes from the blessed God. The term blessed uh, pictures God as the source and the fountain of all blessedness or, or happiness and this blessedness rest in and proceeds from god himself that's the message thirdly the gospel was entrusted to paul paul again if you remember was a missionary to the gentiles Well, certainly he would go wherever you go he would go to the jews for three sabbaths he would share it to his own brother but he would go to the gentiles he was entrusted. Just as Paul has been entrusted with the gospel, you and I have been entrusted with the gospel. Every believer has been entrusted with it. We now are, are to be stewards. What are we going to do with this gospel, this good news? It's not about me. It's about God. What God has done, and we need to bring the gospel to this lost world. Paul's concern was to tell Timothy that he must keep people from teaching false doctrine. You know, if I go away to a conference or I I, I go away to, you know, Israel or Turkey or, or Jordan or something like that in my studies, it's very important to me that I find the right person to teach. Someone that will bring the Word of God in the way that God intends. Someone will not bring people into bondage and put them under the law, but simply bring them to Christ and understand the grace that is given. It's very important that, that we just don't let anybody teach. That we know them. We know what they teach. That same thing applies to you if you have a home study in your house. That you just don't let someone come into your house and lead a Bible study, and all of a sudden they're leading them into, uh, to, to become Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. You want to know that they're on the same page. You have that responsibility. What about when they knock on your door? You're to reject them because they don't know that truth. They don't really want to know the truth or set them free. I've talked to many of them, and I've simply said, well, you know, if you want to study the Word, let's study the Word together. Or if I uh, listen to what you say, will you listen to what I say? Or if I could show you that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and He's come from the Father, would you believe? And they say, no. They have one agenda, to convert you, to make you one of them. And that's where we have to be careful. Careful. Sometimes they need to be pointed out, showing the doctrine, this person's not following the doctrine. Now, you know, it's, I rarely mention someone. But when it would affect this congregation, when it would affect you, your children, I will bring it to the surface. It's not that I want to tear them down, and I don't tear the character down, but I just show you the doctrine does not line up with the Scripture. Every believer has the responsibility to guard the gospel message. You need to protect your kids, your family, your friends, your neighbors. Please understand that we have that responsibility. And I'm not even talking biblical. I want to protect him from those that would lead him astray, those that would be bad friends, who would lead him into things that they would get in trouble with the police. There's that protectiveness. And if you're a true believer and know who Jesus Christ is, you too have that responsibility to guard the gospel message with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, and seize those opportunities that God lays before you. But how do you do it? In love. In tenderness. You take them to the Scripture. You show them what the Scripture says. Even if they get mad at you. Because God is the one that's going to bring that peace. I'd like to end with a final illustration true my daughter had went to a, a church one time it was a a youth group meeting with a bunch of churches and and they had a speaker said you know unless you speak in tongues you're not saved and i heard this and i pulled her aside i said it, it's time to go nina we we need to go they're not teaching the bible and we sat down and she was very mad because all of her friends were Listing this, but her thing was that she was being isolated from her friends. And I opened the Word of God. I showed her what the Scripture said. I went to First Corinthians, how it is to be used in a congregation. We talked about those gifts from First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. She was mad because she was protective of her friends. At the moment, she wasn't willing to, to listen to that truth, but it came down the road. It came down maybe a, a two weeks, a month. I don't remember. She says, I understand what you're saying, Dad, because she sat before God, and God spoke to her. Father, we need ears to hear. We need to know that truth. We need to rightly divide that word. We know that. We know that you've given us your Holy Spirit that gives us discernment, help us to never quench our conscience, that spirit, because we know that you will lead us into all truth. Thank you that you're patient, you're long-suffering with us. God, help us that we would be that way with others. But Lord, when we need to be bold, when we need to point out the truth, the truth that will set people free. We ask, Lord, that you give us that boldness, but in a a loving way, a a tender way, that people will see that we really are concerned and they would understand and listen why we're concerned. Lord, we thank you for this text, as difficult it may seem. Help us individually take the, the log out of our eyes before we take the speck out of someone else's eyes. Help us to realize that you are the judge, and we're not to judge others, but simply illuminate the truth, the truth that will set people free. And all God's people said, Amen.